Welcome to Real Life Christianity with Deacon John Lozano. This podcast is about real life and living it in the light of the gospel. Real things, everyday things, relationships at home and work, real issues that the world presents every day, the complexities, difficulties, joys and aspirations of being human. Deacon John is a real guy, a deacon, but also a husband, a dad, a businessman, as well as an experienced counselor, educator, and author. And Deacon John invites us to come as you are as he brings the transformative power of the gospel down from the clouds to real life, your life. Hello, everyone. You know, it kind of occurs to me that our listeners might like to know Deacon John a little bit. So who is Deacon John? Is that his real name? Is he related, say, to Steely Dan's Deacon Blues? Well, yeah, there is a name that the IRS knows him by. That's John Lozano. And he's listed in the white pages that way as well. He's married. He has kids. He has his own business. He eats real food. He likes IPAs. He likes red wine. Deacon John lives in the Philadelphia area, but he doesn't tailgate at Eagles games on Sunday. But you will find him somewhere around the St. Norberts of Paoli property, sometimes delivering as many as, what, four homilies. Protestants know these as sermons somewhere between Saturday evening and Sunday night. And he finds time for his personal Christian and Catholic missions. He writes books, counsels people and couples, and tries to ride his bike at least five times a week. All that while trying to find time to stand on the edge of the ocean and cast a line into the surf in search of hungry fish. There's some powerful imagery there. Take note. Now, who am I? My name is Lou Tilly, and I'm Deacon John's pupil, follower, and friend, and I represent untold thousands of others who would say the same. Deacon John often speaks as a vocation and a life mission. I have often spoken as a career. There's a difference. Let's start there. John, where did it begin? (laughs) Well, there's a open-ended question if I've ever heard one. Well, I guess to answer that, I'd have to say, why am I sitting here? Why are you here? Why are the three of us here? How did I get to this place where I'm being interviewed uh, by a friend and it's going to be posted for other people to hear? Why am I, why are we here? And I think it all began, you know, when I met him. You know, I, I met him. I had faith in my life uh, growing up as a Catholic and going to church. Um, but it was tangential faith. It was the faith on the edges of life. My friends and what I did. I grew up in Long Island, New York. Uh, my dad worked all the time, really wasn't present. So that was my life, my friends and what was going on. And it wasn't until, I guess, the first uh, pivotal moment in my life that really brought me to this place was my father's death. Um, He uh, suddenly started to hemorrhage, uh, bleed internally, and two days later he died. Uh, How old were you? I was 16. Yeah. So when you're 16 and your father dies, it it causes you to 
look at life in a, and ask questions that most 16-year-olds don't, at least with the depth in which I ask them. And the one thing I did was I went to my cousin, who was going to say my father's funeral, who's a priest. And since I wasn't exactly on the deacon track back then, I thought it would be good to go to confession, which I did. And his uh, response, uh, what he asked me to do in response to that, was to listen to my father's funeral. Hmm. Uh, and I thought that was, it took me back, that that's all he wanted, and that's what I needed to do. And so I did. I listened to the words. I listened to the prayers, the music. I listened in a way I've never, ever listened before. And what I'd ended up doing was praying in a way I never prayed before. It was a very simple prayer. It was uh, help. <laughs> help. Mm. I, I was really scared. Oh, I was boy. really scared. I didn't know. I thought my life had you know, shattered. I didn't know what was going to happen to me and my family. To make a long story short, I felt a sense with me, of something with me in that church, a presence, and a sense within. I didn't hear words or see lights, but I sensed within hmm. that everything was going to be okay. And somehow when I left there, I, I knew it was going to be okay. And that was a beginning of a trajectory that I guess there's so much more to say, but that brought me to why I'm here. Um, a couple of things. Sure. Uh, I certainly hear you because you know my journey. It didn't happen at 16, it happened at 50. But, and I'm sure there are a lot of people listening that understand exactly what you just said about something was said to me. Not, not in clear words, but something you understood. How difficult is it at the age of 16? There are a lot of things going through a young man's head at 16. Through all that clutter, for all that interference, for that message to get through. How, how were you evolved enough at that point to be able to hear the message? Wow, I've never been asked that, and I don't, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know if I would see myself as that evolved. Maybe that's the wrong word. Um, because I think I was a pretty typical teenager. I was growing up in the 70s, and it was a fast track. You know, some of my friends had money, and I lived on the edge of a wealthy neighborhood, and, um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. You know, this is the mystery of the whole thing. Like, like, sometimes I ask myself, why do I have faith? Why does anybody have faith? And some people say, well, because I had good parents. Mm. I went to a good school. I had this great teacher. I read this book. It inspired me. And that's why I have faith. You went to church all the time. Yeah, or my parents brought me to church, and I have faith. But here's the thing. There's lots of people with good parents, went to good schools, read good books, and they don't have faith. And there's a mystery to this. Like, why do I or does anyone have faith? I don't know except for the mystery of God's gracious love and mercy for us. That somehow, through the midst of all that I was at that time, he infiltrated in, and I met him. And there's a certain uh, level of awe I have for that, and deep gratitude, because I'm not better than anybody. 
not smarter than anybody. I sure as heck at that time, my life wasn't exactly the poster child to where I became at all. And yet here I am. So 16 says it all. We, I think we all can identify with that. Have you ever felt like God chooses people, certain people? Were you one of them? Here's the thing. Yeah, he does. He does. I mean, if you look at the Bible, it, he's a choosing God. You know, it, it, we might have a little trouble with this, but he chose Abraham, he chose Moses, he chose Paul, he chooses people. Why? I don't know, but he chooses them. But he doesn't choose them for themselves. He always chooses them for a purpose. So it's not about them, but it is about them, that they're chosen, but it's not for themselves. So, yeah, he's a choosing God, and he chooses us for a purpose. Like uh, someone said that no one in the Bible who ever experienced God was not sent on a mission. Like we want to experience God just so that, oh, I feel really, I got peace in my life now, and I'm happy, and I'm going to go to heaven. No, you're chosen, yeah, for that, but you're chosen for a purpose, for a mission. That's why you're chosen. And there's a profound mystery here. Why was I chosen? Why was anyone chosen? Why was someone else not? Or there's certainly the mystery of human freedom, people's response. So it's a complex thing. I don't know. But in the midst of it, those people who have been on the journey of faith a long time, like myself, the older I get, the more I know is there was something gracious beyond myself that enabled me to know him. Now, yes, I had to say yes, and yes, there's human freedom. And yes, at the midst, it, it being at a time of, of a tragic death predisposes somebody to faith, or potentially does, like few other things. So you put that in the mix as well. However, it's really fundamentally a mystery, one that we can ponder and be in awe of especially in the sense of the graciousness behind it, the mercy behind it. Um, God choosing, this is about the depth of my understanding of, of our shared faith. But you, you, you brought him up to me right away because I think you saw St. Augustine in me when you, met, when you met me. Yes. And there, there's one that he topped on the shoulder, and he probably said, really, me? And, of course, he had the classic, let me be chaste, let me be uh, <laughs> but sober. Not, but not yet. But not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Give me chastity, but not yet. No, God was calling him, but he's like, whoa. Right, like, summer's whoa. coming up, God. Yeah, right. <laughs> let me, or I'm 16, give me a break. Which I'm is just getting I, some really good girlfriends that's in my it. life. That's <laughs> it. I wanted to take you back to that. So you felt the tap on your shoulder, you heard the voice, and what comfort uh, and purpose coming out of your father's death, yeah, I assume, how soon before you realized your mission? Well, uh, faith, the development of my faith from that point on was still a development. It wasn't a one-shot deal. Uh, in fact, 10 months later, I was at a prayer meeting. I had no idea what in the world a prayer meeting was. Uh, my <laughs> brother said I should go to one. So I went to one. I'm in the basement of this Catholic church sitting on a, a cold steel chair. You know how they have them in those churches. But I went there uh, rather skeptical because I'm like, what's a prayer meeting? You know, I have faith, but... And it's like Friday night. Like, 
it's not Sunday. Why, why am I going to church on Friday? <laughs> right. Right. And then, this is the thing that got me, the people that greeted me were like from 14 to 70. Like they're old and young. And I'm like, wait, this doesn't compute either. Why are young and old people getting together on a Friday night? But here's the thing, and this is another turning point. I was lived a pretty, I was on a fast track, brought up in New York, a little edgy, but I saw something in their eyes. Hmm. I saw something in them that just attracted me. And I said to myself, almost unconsciously, I don't know what it is they got, hmm. but whatever that is, mm-hmm. I want it. <laughs> so I, I go to this prayer meeting, and it, you know, it was charismatic. I, don't, I didn't hear any of that. I didn't pray out loud. I didn't sing. No, I sat in that cold chair, and I just said, Holy Spirit, if, this, if you're real, and this is real, come. I want you. And this peace, this peace came over me that I had never known. And I got up with this smile on my face hmm. I'd never had. And I knew this was it. So the, the, the calling and the, the mission was significant events like that, but then a multitude of much less dramatic, smaller, subtle everyday events that kept me in a direction with a person, the person of Jesus, a lot through people of faith on a direction that was really never the same in my life. And the mission part, just like faith evolves, mission evolves. Like when you have that sense that this is what you desire, you then find a way to follow that desire. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what do you want to do with life? I want to be a broadcaster. I want to be an athlete. Let's say you want to be an athlete. Well, you're going to do all the things and hang out with the people and read the books and do the exercise that you become a great athlete. Well, when you have a passion <laughs> for Jesus Christ <laughs> or to love him and serve him, well, you start reading some certain books, you hang out with certain people, you start spending time in prayer and other things that gets you to that place that is your passion that burns in you. And faith, in a sense, a lot of people don't like the word passion. Augustine loved the word passion. God is passionate. (laughs) And when he touches us, we're meant to have a sense, we're meant to be lit, scorched with Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. that then sets us on fire. Oh, there's a word just pulled out of my head, on fire. Yeah. Um, Wasn't it like... uh, I love the road to Emmaus. So, so these, these guys are leaving town. It's probably a man and a woman, they think now, maybe even husband and wife. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I'll get to the fire thing, but they're, they're checking out. They were disciples of Jesus, and now it's like, this didn't work out. We're leaving town. Now, they must have been utterly uh, in turmoil and in confusion because... Everything I hoped and dreamed, the bottom had fallen out. So one of the things that happens, the first most beautiful thing is that Jesus starts walking with them. I mean, how beautiful is that? And it's so beautiful, they don't even recognize him. Hmm. And he's still walking with them. And so when do they meet him? Well, there's 
three things. They meet him in the conversation that they're having, unknowingly, because they're opening their hearts to one another. They meet him as we, next in the scripture, in the Bible. And that's getting to the fire thing. Because after he leaves and they recognize him, he say, they say, we're not our heart burning with fire when he explained the scriptures to us. You see, once you get singed like that, you're never the same. Hmm. And the third thing was he broke the bread and instantaneously they recognized him. So here's this person coming into people's lives at a very, very low time. I mean, in the Old Testament, cursed is the one who dies on the tree. Cursed is the one who dies on the tree. That's what they saw in Jesus' death. And they're leaving. They're in utter confusion, but they're sharing the depth of their confusion and turmoil. In Greek, it says from their gut. And that shared life was the beginning for Jesus to enter. As it is today, friends, you want to get on this path? Open it up. Open up the truth of your life to another person. Hmm. And then open the scriptures <laughs> and break the bread. But it begins with the turmoil and the struggle and the openness. But then the fire happens. And that's getting back to your next question. Your first question is, faith is meant to be like a fire. It's meant to singe us in love in a way that orientates us in a whole new way of looking and living. And, and, and it changes what we love. And that's the way we live. Okay. No, no, no. When I'm shaking my head, it's because, and you, you'll stop to think about this, when you and I met, yeah. that's exactly where I was. In what? fact, the man who's engineering this and recording this, Leo, met me during that period. And he'll, he'll probably nod his head. And he, he'll affirm everything you're saying. <laughs> I, was, I was on fire. I couldn't stop talking about it. It was dominating my life. It was like the greatest love that I'd ever fallen into. It was very real. And, and yet fire. before that, if you, you don't have to spend a lot of time. Well, we'll come back to me. We'll get back to you. We'll get you back were, to me. You were in that same spot. Everything you've described <laughs> is me. And my suspicion, John, is that many of the people that are listening are nodding their heads now as well. Because they have a personal experience just like that, which is what defines it as real. And they know that when you come to trust it right. and live it every day like a good relationship, as you taught me. You don't call your wife once a year on Christmas or once a year on Easter, but every day. Yeah. Then it, it, it validates the love. But I'm getting away, although this is very part, much a part of it. Okay. So you, you, were, you were a lucky man. You were touched early and saw it early and understood it. Lucky doesn't come anywhere near what it was, but go right ahead. Grace, blessed. <laughs> and you've carried it through a lifetime now. Yeah, long time. And as I said in the beginning, a lot of people, and I should clarify this, a lot of people should know that you're a deacon in the Catholic Church, which means something very different than a deacon at Wake Forest, for yeah. instance, where I went to school, Baptist church uh, school. And, and when I tell people, my friend is the deacon at my church, St. Norbert's, they say, oh, he's your priest. And I say, no, it's a little different. So, so tell me that. Because I always then validate that with, well, you see, it is a little different for me because Deacon John is married. He has kids. He's living a job at the same time on his mission. And, and so explain a little bit how that differentiates uh, in the Catholic Church and for Christians who are listening, who, who wonder, well, what, what's that mean? He's a deacon. Sure. 
Um, yes, there are differences with the word deacon in the denominations, the Christian denominations. Um, I can only speak for what I'm familiar with, which is the Catholic one. Uh, actually, in the early church, there were bishops. There, there weren't priests. They were priests, but they were what we would call bishop because there's only one, and he had the community. They broke the bread, and um, then they formed deacons early on to serve the bishop, to be a servant to people and meet their needs. And that's why the word deacon, diaconia, is service in the Bible. Hmm. Uh, when Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve, he identifies at his very core of his being with being a servant. It's an extraordinary line. The God of the cosmos has not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for others. So it's meant to be a role of service to the church and to identify and hopefully through the grace of the sacrament be formed in Christ the servant. So my primary role of a deacon is to help people get in touch with that aspect of who Jesus is and who God is. So throughout history, it has evolved. Now we have priests who are first ordained deacons, then they become priests. So you had priests, you had bishop, priests, and deacons. And then later on, they kind of still had deacons, but they were all priests. They didn't have married deacons. They didn't have single deacons. Uh, they, they brought that back after Vatican II. So now you could be a permanent deacon, not a deacon that becomes a priest, but you can be a permanent deacon in the Catholic Church. And so we do things like give homilies. We baptize children. We visit the sick. We serve in a variety of functions. We do not preside over the Eucharist, and we do not hear confession. That's reserved only for the priests. So we do a lot of priestly things, but we're meant to go beyond that to do just a lot of servant things, because that's our nature of who we're ordained to be. So to me, the exciting part is to help people to remember that aspect of who Jesus is and who we are all meant to be. You know, we're all servants. That's at the heart of what it means to be a follower. Of Jesus. For those of you who are listening to us somewhere around the country or outside of Philadelphia or even around the globe, uh, John and I are coming to you from outside of the city of Philadelphia in a, a very nice suburban area. St. Norbert's is located in a town called Paoli. It's part of what they call the main line outside of Philadelphia, which was the, uh, the railroad that connected the old Philadelphia to Harrisburg, the state cop capital. It was called the main line railroad, and people built their homes, the well-to-do, along this railroad stop, and they're named uh, for towns in old England like Devon and Wayne and Paoli and such. Uh, so that's where we are. It's very well-to-do. It sometimes is mocked and as a snooty blue blood area. St. Norbert's is uh, where I become a member, where I found my faith and, and uh, became a member of the Catholic Church 11 years ago in St. Norbert's. And it's extra it was an extraordinary revelation to me. And I think you'll agree that it's sort of a unique, that's one of a kind, but let's say rare um, Catholic congregation, a very fervent uh, membership. And I'll, I'll give a lot of that credit to you uh, on the Sundays when, when John is speaking and doing the homily and the Saturday nights. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence. This is just an opinion, but the, the place is packed. You're, you're an extraordinary speaker. 
But what really what connects you, I think, with the parish members and with me is you are also degreed as a counselor mm -hmm. in human relations, in marriage, um, in addiction problems. And so you're able to carry your understanding of humanity and humans uh, through the eyes and the lens of Christ. Uh, that's not a question, but that's a jumping off part yeah. for a point for you. And you have any thoughts about that? Well, yes. Well, thank you for what you said. I, I do think we all bring who we are to what we do. And uh, I think being married and having children, having built a business, um, all a part of who I am. Uh, having degrees in theology and in counseling and liberal studies, you know, being educated a lot in theology, but also being educated in counseling and to have done several years of therapy with people, primarily marriage counseling, has taught me, informed me in many, many, many ways. Uh, been somewhat involved with the drug issues and alcohol because my father was an alcoholic, you know, and that's, it's what killed him. And so when that's in your life, it forms you. Uh, you know, someone said sometimes he had to die, it was tragic, but someone said at his death that some have to die so others may live. You know, it was his death that was the beginning of my life, really, the, the conversion of my life. And I regret very much that it had to go that way and lose him. But that was the beginning point. And he, even his alcoholism, I had to do so much work dealing with that for myself and its effect on me and my family. I mean, it was just, it was immensely powerful. And the work I had to do, you talk about counseling other people, I had to do my own homework and, and deal with my clutter and, and my life. And that formed me. Uh, you know, these are the things that form us, that become <clears throat> what seems to be such bad news, ends up sometimes being good news, meaning I know I can't, couldn't relate to people or understand certain things in, in human suffering and human psychology unless I went through what I went through or I've had the experiences I've had or a lot of that was suffering too. Having gone through that has helped me to be who I am. And, you know, when you're going through it, you're like, why is this happening to me? But when you look back and in time, wow. Sometimes you discover that uh, those are your greatest gifts. And that's, again, where you stand in awe of God's grace and mercy, because that's not something you can pull out of your pocket and make habit happen. There's no magic wands here, and there's no easy roads. This stuff is difficult. So my difficulties, the difficulties of people I've worked with, particularly in counseling, I mean, when you're dealing with people who open up their life to you, it's, it's really quite, I, I always reverenced it because I felt like they were trusting me with the depths of who they are, uh, their deepest struggles. And that's quite a privilege. It's also very hard <laughs> because there's no easy answers, as I said. But I've discovered that that journey can be extraordinarily grace-filled. And all that stuff has formed me uh, into who I am as, and what I do. So, that's, so that's is it hard to keep the energy going, the uh, commitment going? That's a great question, you know. And I don't know why, but it's, 
I is still as fired about, here's the thing. What gets me up in the morning, what keeps me going, is that in some way, maybe small way, I can be part of someone experiencing and knowing the love of God in Jesus Christ in their life, the love of God for them. When I see that happening, it wrecks me. It still wrecks me. It still energizes me like nothing else. It still means more to me than anything. And, you know, I don't know why. It's just, as somebody said, that's money. You know, that's, that's where it's at. <laughs> that's, that's the way it is for me. And when I'm around that, and it doesn't, certainly doesn't happen all the time. I have boring days and I'm in a bad mood like other people. And I don't see the love of God pouring out all over. But when I'm a part of that, Holy cow. Mm -hmm. Like when I, saw, when I journeyed with you, Lou, and I was privileged to see that happen in your life. Gosh, there's nothing like that. And that's what, that's what energizes me. That's what gets me up. That's why I do what I do. And I'll probably do it till I die. I'm going to slow it down. I'm doing podcasts now instead of traveling because I'm getting too old for some of the, the rough stuff physically. But I'll probably be speaking and doing what I can or writing as long as I can. Yeah, that is a uh, huge commitment, not unlike, I guess, being a, a parent or a good friend or a life partner, because you have to be there for them when you make that commitment on your side. Yeah. yeah. Well, faith is a commitment. You know, the first commitment is God to us. I mean, he's utterly committed to us. And we think God is like, oh, let's see if we pray or we're good boys and girls. God will nod us, give us a nod or pay attention to us or smile at us or be nice to us. We got that totally wrong. You know, when my son played his first soccer game, I thought it was going to be the most boring thing in the world. Because I grew up in New York and nobody ever played soccer. I hmm. tell this story. Right. And I grew up baseball. Stickball. Stickball. Yeah. It's in New York, right? Then, of course, my son becomes of age. Soccer is the rage. So I go to his first game thinking, this is going to be deadly. <laughs> I, could ne I never watched soccer. Those Europeans, I thought, I didn't know what was wrong with them. It's the most boring. <laughs> so I'm watching this game, right? Right. And within minutes, I'm transfixed by the game. Huh. I'm transfixed. And before you know it, this is a true story, I'm running up and down the soccer field <laughs> with the ball. shouting encouragements. <laughs> Then I start st shouting instructions. <laughs> then I start telling him what to do, and I don't know anything. And I was, um, I was a nut. I was a nut. So you've seen them. You've seen these parents. I yeah. was one of them. Uh, and so on the way home, I'm like, what came over me? What was that? And I realized the difference. My son was in the game. Yeah. Oh. My son was in the game. See, we're God's sons and daughters, and we're in the game. We're in the game of life. We're in the game of faith, and it's really hard, and God looks at us and roots for us and cheers for us and focuses on us and does all he can that we succeed. Because he's all in. He's committed 100% to every one of us. This God isn't distant and asleep and, oh, distracted with other things. No, he is 100% focused on you and me every moment of our existence, even before we were born. 
He was focused on that. That's hard to grasp, even before we were born. I just, I, I just shared that this past Sunday. You talk about homily. It was, uh, I, asked, I, I asked people in the, uh, the, the church, I said, do you know how long the earth has been here? I said 4.5 billion years. Billion, not million years. 4.5 billion years. So I said, where were you and me for those billion years? And I read to them the words of Catherine of Siena on this. As he stands up and goes to the bookshelves and withdraws a book and pull out an a accurate book. quote. So I get it right. This is Catherine. We see that we were loved before we came into existence. We were loved even before we came into existence. For God's love for us compelled him to create us. His love for us, which was ours before we existed, compelled him to create us. Mm. You know, faith sometimes is best stood before with a blank mind and just receive that. How extraordinary is that love? That, that we were loved into existence. That's why the three of us are sitting here right now. That's why we exist. But the greatest sign of God's love is you and you and me. It's that we're here. And it's always been that way. His attention to us was before we existed. So golly, what's going to happen after we die? We can live without fear if we get this. He's all in. He's all in love with you and me. And when you get that, and listen, I, I didn't get this. I'm still getting this. You know, I was brought up, a lot of my listeners, and I'm like this, God is the judge. God's cold, got the dark, you know, he's, he's making the account, and you got to appease him. I, I had all that. What I'm sharing now is still sinking into my consciousness and my understanding and my heart. But it's got to sink in because it's true. That's who God is because that's how he revealed himself. If I have any talents from God, it's as a broadcaster, and I know when to go out on a high note. Okay. So I'm going to wrap up session one of Who is Deacon John right now, but bring, bring you back briefly to something that you revealed when you said you became aware of your calling when you were 16, yeah. and you went to the prayer meeting, and you said, come Holy Spirit. And I'm sure you're aware of it. But that's a phrase that you use with all of your disciples, including me, yeah. including your congregation at St. Norbert's, yeah. is to sit back and say, come Jesus, come Holy Spirit. Yeah. Maybe a good thought to go out on today. Yeah, amen.
thank you for listening and for sharing the good news with Deacon John, who asks you to come back often and support him by subscribing, by rating the site, and please share our site with others in your circle.